When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are figuring out investing via Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and many more great investors, but really basically Warren and Charlie are where, Indeed. We, where we are. And Indeed. Um, if you didn't know this already, we've been doing this for a long time, unpacking what amounts to four simple things. Be capable of understanding the business, make sure it's got a great moat, Make sure management team is honest and has integrity and talent and get a margin of safety. Oh, I like saying those at the beginning. Maybe after 300 episodes, we finally figured out our opening. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Maybe we just record that and do it that way forever and everyone would be like, there, finally. But no, probably we won't. So, I mean, I just like saying what it is because it's so fundamental. And I, like I think too. that's kind of what we're on today is some more fundamental things that we need to know. Yeah. I mean, we just came off the interview with William Green, which was so much fun and filled with the wisdom of investing giants. And I mean, he, he's got good PR going. He's becoming quite the, the star out there with this book. <laughs> he should. It's such a good book. Yep. Richer, Wiser, Happier by William Green. Fabulous book. Read it and learn. And which is, by the way, one of the things we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Actually, with yes. Charlie's quotes again. Yes. We're, we're I'm just going to start Charlie's. with one. Oh, good. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Because it's right on this point. He said, we both, that's Warren Buffett and Charlie, insist on a lot of time being made available every day to just sit and think. This is very uncommon in American business. We read and think. That is right? dead true. I, I mean, most of you know, like, you know, your job sucks up your life and you pretty soon discover you haven't had time to think about what you really are supposed to be doing. Yeah. It's quite common, you know? And so I think that's that's fabulous. And by the way, reading is, it's just so fundamental to being a good investor. You can't do it enough. I mean, there's there's a rumor out there that Buffett reads like four or 500 pages a week. And uh, likely, I think that's probably likely I'm for both of these guys. Easily, yeah. And what do they read? I mean, what do you read, Daniel? I, I mean, I know what I read. What to be read? fair, I have not been reading a lot in the last nine months, to be uh, totally legit about it because COVID. of brain issues. But typically, I like to read, actually, I know it's really nerdy, Dad, but I like to read books about like behavioral economics and how the world works because I didn't study that stuff in school. So it's a really great education for me. And then I read investing stuff. Like it's kind of, I wish I had like cool random stuff. Like I know there's a lot of investors who love to read about evolution. It's some kind of value investor, long-term investor thing that you get interested in evolution and they all like separately get into it. And I know you've been super into reading about evolution at various oh, yeah. points. I haven't I love, gotten to that particular point yet. I love but that. for me, it's reading about people because I think that's, to me, that's such a huge part of my 
investing and what draws me to investing is understanding the people yeah. running the companies. And so I think that's why I tend to read more about, about like psychology and behavioral economics. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, really cool. I like a lot of biographies. I'm reading about Jack Ma right now and just digging into usually cool. people who were running yeah. businesses that we, you know, I, when we were looking at JD.com, I was looking at, I forgot their founder's name, but digging into the book on that his sort of biography. And I mean, it's fascinating. You can kind of get an insight. Um, we're looking at another, I can't mention the name of this investment um, because we're still digging into it, but um, this guy's got a biography and it's fabulous. It's such an insight into the nature of the company, like reading about one of the founders. And hmm. so, yeah, I think, I think that's really fun. I remember once when I was looking at railroad companies, I noticed that Buffett was buying in quietly buying into Burlington Northern. Um, this must've been 10 years, I think longer than that, 12, 15 years ago. <clears throat> but it's a good example. I don't I haven't had anything quite this radical in a long time or since then, I don't think, or I'd tell you about it. But essentially, I, I went out and got every book from Amazon that had anything to do with railroads. Just bought them all. And I had 35, 40 books showed up. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so if you're used to reading, that's not daunting, actually. It's just like, oh, there's a cool pile of stuff. I won't run out of things for a while. Yeah, and exactly. And then just flashing through these books right when once you've read about intermodal railway traffic and how it started then a lot of the books are repetitive and you can quickly just zing through them mm. and um it didn't take that long those became the you know put put five or six of those in the bathroom and <laughs> put a bunch of them here and there scatter them around the house and um, i might be watching a game and and just winging through a book on railroads. It's compounded so it's just, knowledge. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's that's pretty pretty vital, I think, to to make it a habit. Yeah, and right. uh, Charlie kind of goes on to say the habit of committing far more time to learning and thinking than to doing is no accident. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the the continuation of that idea that you intentionally structure your day and your life to spend more time reading and thinking and learning than out there doing. And I mean, for investing, there's no, that's, that can't be more true. It's just, everything is about being prepared to take a huge dive, right? You it's want funny. To get it set up. I'm reading the Buffett letters right now. And it occurs to me that when you ask what I'm reading, I immediately think of a book, but, and I'm not reading any book right now. But I'm reading a massive amount per week because I'm going through Warren Buffett's annual letters. That's and funny. I've got it's that. It's funny. Book. I don't even like process that as like, quote unquote, reading. It's just like a project that I'm working yeah. on in my investing yeah. practice. So it's a little different. But speaking of biographies, because this just jogged my memory, in one of his um, letters, he actually recommends... Ah, uh, you'll know this guy, and I'm blanking on his name. The one who ran GE, whose name is Jack something. Ah, uh, Welsh. Thank you. Yes. Um, Buffett highly recommended his book, which I thought was kind of funny because he's like a little bit of a buzzword joke at this. Like, not that he is, but like synergy and all the stuff that he came up with at this point is like a little bit jokesty. And, um, and yeah, Buffett like loved his book and recommended it in his letter. I would like to read the book just because I'd like to 
to hear how he justifies this sort of Darwinian environment he created at GE where every year they would fire the bottom 10% of the people by performance. Oh, really? Jeez, yeah. that's and If you landed at the bottom duty. 10%, you were gone. And How and do so they define bottom 10%? It was defined by peer groups and managers. Wow. So you get to vote people off the island. Yikes. And it's legit like, oh, you're not you're not good enough. And so it became a ruthless competitive environment Absolutely. rather than collegial and cooperative and Yeah. Oh man, that had to be scary. Like constantly worrying about what people are thinking about you, right? Because I mean, if you criticize, if you criticize somebody, I mean, you've just made an enemy, and they're out to get you, and it has nothing oh, to completely. do with how good you are at your job. It's like you tried to get me, so I'm going to try to get you. And I, of and course. GE, is a mess right now as a yeah. result of perhaps that legacy. I don't know. It could be. I mean, maybe it worked for a little bit and then steadily just the people who were worthwhile started dropping away from that because like, why? They didn't want to live in that. But of course, it makes me think of Jack Donaghy on 30 Rock who <laughs> lived the GE life and everyone was the enemy at all times. Like, I think that that character nailed the GE experience. Who is Jack Donahue and what is 30 Rock? What? Yeah. Have I not educated you in pop culture well enough? Clearly not. I do not watch enough TV. Dad, okay, listen to me. 30 Rock is no longer on television. It's from, I would say, at least 10 years ago. Or it started at least 10 years ago. It's Tina Fey's sitcom about life at 30 Rockefeller Center making a TV show which is eerily similar to Saturday Night Live, but it's called something else. Oh, it's just the one that's got that awesome comedian Tracy somebody that got Tracy hit on the Jordan. bridge. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen some of the skits. That guy's so, brilliant. Alec Baldwin, it's a great show all around. Everybody's amazing. The writing's good. Yes, I have watched it from beginning to end on like a DVD, I think, back when DVDs were a thing that you watch things on. Um <laughs> So Alec Baldwin came on in the very beginning and he was meant, I believe, to be a short term funny guest character because I don't think he wanted to be on a sitcom, but she convinced him to come on because he was such a beloved host of SNL. So he came on. He plays this guy, Jack Donaghy, who's the president of the network. Uh And of course, NBC or I think it was even called NBC on the show is owned by GE. So he's some guy from GE who used to run a wig company because GE is a conglomerate that owns like a million random businesses. <laughs> and somebody at GE's higher ups were like, we're going to test this guy to be the future leader of the company. Like, come over here and run this network. And so he knows nothing about television and runs the whole thing like it's a death gladiator match. (laughs) And became one of the most beloved characters on television of the mid 2000s, early, early 2000s. So that's great. Well worth watching. Great trivia. What was his name in case it comes up in a trivia question down at the local Irish bar on Wednesday nights? Jack Donaghy, dad. Jack, Jack Donaghy. Donaghy. Very okay, Irish. Perfect. Very perfect. Irish. Next quote. What do you okay. think? Okay. This is to the point of continuing to learn forever. There's no better teacher than history in determining the future. There are answers worth billions of dollars in a $30 history book. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. So more 100%. reading. 
More reading. More reading. Yeah. If you keep learning all the time, you have a huge advantage. Okay, good. Onward. True. Knowing what you don't know <laughs> is more useful than being brilliant. Uh, I fully agree with that. Okay, I also think it's jump. a lot harder than being brilliant. Well, no. Being brilliant <laughs> is... No? Being brilliant is automatic, right? I guess if you're brilliant, it is. Okay, so you're brilliant, and that's just not fair. Talk about that, okay? You're brilliant, and so you think it's easy to be brilliant. I think people who are brilliant are born brilliant. Well, yes, yeah, there's a nature-nurture argument. Yes, of course. Yes. But. So thank God we're doing a kind of investing strategy that doesn't require brilliance. Because <laughs> Indeed. I would not be successful at this. I have to have it easy. And I love this idea that it's just knowing what you don't know. Because whenever I've gotten in trouble with an investment, it's always because I failed to do the obvious work of understanding the business. I just failed to. One that I just got crushed on, I just, it honestly, on hindsight, understanding what they were doing in this plant was too hard. And in order to go ahead with the investment that I was talking myself into and getting in a total state about, because I was so sure, I had to ignore the part of this that I didn't understand. Yeah, I had to push it aside. And so mm -hmm. I used confirmation bias, which is to only look at the side of this business that, uh, that uh, supports my view that it's wonderful. Only look at that. And, and, and also then to avoid knowing what I don't know. So I just completely bailed on both of those things. And the result was the biggest disaster in investing that I've ever had. So I mean, I will defend you a little bit because I remember you, that was before I got into learning about investing. And I remember yeah. you telling me about that company and describing it and saying like, well, this will happen. So this will, and I won't give details, but like this happened, this has got to happen. And I expect this to happen. And here's how this should go. And I think that your assumptions were reasonable. And I think you were testing your assumptions on everybody you could to see if they did seem reasonable. And I don't think you got a lot of like, no, that's idiotic. So yeah, you didn't know how maybe those assumptions could be wrong. But I do think well, that you were, here's where, you were, here's you where were paying attention to your assumptions, if I remember. Right? I was, but here's where it went off the rails. I trusted the word of a management team, both the lead engineers who I talked to and the CEO who I didn't talk to, the head of the VP of investor relations who I talked to repeatedly, were all lying to me. Yeah, that's a that's a serious that issue. Was a serious issue. And by the way, we won a lawsuit against these guys and we got yeah. paid millions yeah. and millions of dollars. Yay. Yay. But it's a pyrrhic victory, right? I mean, we got crushed for many, many millions more. Probably got back, you know, few a few cents on the dollar, and it was millions of dollars. God, I'll tell you, man, just thinking back on that, it's like knowing what you don't know is more useful than being brilliant. And here's a whole, a whole engineering process that I didn't know, and because I didn't know it, I trusted someone to tell me the truth. And all that had to happen for this investment to go right down the toilet was for them to not have integrity. And now you look back at that and you go, okay, these guys were under tremendous pressure to deliver. 
they were covering up their failures that were their personal failures of their personal decisions. They couldn't blame it on anybody. And they chose to go with the lie. And do you think it was a fake it till you make it kind of thing and hoping they could make it? Yeah. They really believed that if they just kept getting it, they would just solve all the problems they were hiding from everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And my God, man, that's such a revelation that, wow, you need to know that you're teetering on the word of someone that you don't know. That your a, whole investment is teetering on that. And it's just like, damn, don't let that happen ever yeah. again. Yeah. Right? But I so mean, now so, we don't we don't tr- we don't talk to engineers and trust them. If if we have a of a investment we want to put money into where there's engineering involved, we hire outside engineers. And if they can't get to the answer, then we don't invest in it. Okay. That's so that's simple. one way that you've found to know what you don't know. Right. Is what's what? How can you say that? Higher outside expertise. Right. And, and then you're and, relying on them. And, you're and maybe on you them. have more than one so that you can hedge your information. Precisely. They get two or three. Mm-hmm. 100% right. And gosh, I'll tell you what, I mean, you're going to do the work one way or the other. If, if you don't do the work and you get nailed, then you end up doing what I did, which is you're doing the work in court to prove that these guys were liars and hiring the experts to go in there and dig out the information you should have dug out in the first place. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So I, I took a shortcut, and, and, and I learned my lesson that I can't do that. So I don't, obviously we don't tend to do very many of those kinds of things, right? We we're investing in one company right now, which required us to hire outside people to take a really close look at what, you know, what this company's doing. And, um, then it wasn't engineering based. It was more just based on budgeting and things like that. But man, I'll tell you, when you get it's it's so much easier to just know about burritos, okay? I mean, that's just better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> better. but I mean, obviously, leaders of companies can lie, and that's oh, just man, that's, that's just an issue, you know. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> people lie; that is an issue in life, yep. and there are a lot of stop gaps in place to try to prevent that from happening. But it doesn't mean it's always going to work. Well, here's one, another Charlie quote. We have a passion for keeping things simple. And then a second quote, which is we have three baskets for investing. Yes, no, and too tough to understand. And Mm -hmm. I think part of hubris, you know, sort of overestimating one's ability is not recognizing when things are are tough to understand and just, you know, just feeling like, wow, I finally found something, particularly in this market where nothing is hardly is on sale, the only things that you can really look at are hard. I mean, that's yeah. really the truth yeah. of it. Anything yeah. simple has already been bid up to the moon. So, One thing yeah, I found get, really, <clears throat> really intriguing, again, over the course of reading Buffett's letters, is that he has made, and I'm now, uh, where are we here on the invested practice? We're like 2005, roughly. And so that's a lot of them that I've read now. And 
he's made a lot of mistakes. Like, that's what strikes me reading one after another is how many bad investments Warren Buffett has made. Yeah. <laughs> it really kind of has blown me away because you well, don't hear about these things. I think, but you're over... on the, I think you're on the most important thing about reading those letters. I, I mean, if, I hope you're cataloging those mistakes. Um, I am not, but if I'm, I'm sure somebody has, but maybe that's something you go Manesh back per, and do. Manesh Prabhai did, and he's kept the, the list that he got from it quite proprietary. Um, okay. So what's a, intrigued me about the mistakes that I've observed without making a list um, is that they're such prosaic businesses. They're so easy to understand. Yeah. They're businesses like encyclopedias. Shoe company. A shoe company, a textile company. Yeah. There are businesses that make a heck of a lot of sense looking at 10 years of financial statements. Yeah. But they don't make sense looking ahead to the internet age. Right. And that's where he messed up. And he very easily says, or, you know, not, in, that's the encyclopedia one, but, or newspapers, that's another one. Um, or like the textile company, textiles just becoming too expensive to produce in the U.S., and with each one, he, like, not only admits the mistake, he, like, sings the mistake to the rafters I and says, I didn't see it coming. I shouldn't have ever bought this company. It right. The fault is mine, not the managers. The managers have done an incredible job in an impossible industry that is dying. It's so nice when he does that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, uh, he's right. He's right. So that's been, I haven't really... I don't have a takeaway yet, but it's a very strong pattern and a strong observation. I think one that really matters for investors now in 2021, when the pace of progress is faster and faster and faster yes. and faster than it was for Buffett in 1981. Well, here's a potential takeaway. And how do we determine which businesses have done really well for 10 years but aren't going to do so well in the next 10 or, or might do well for another three and then fade away. Well, that's, that's the takeaway is that yeah. Buffett has said many times that if it was just, you know, reading history would make you a great investor, then librarians would all be rich. So the, <laughs> the point is, if, There's you're, a quote. <laughs> if you're trying to drive the car, you know, and, and you're driving your car by looking out the back window at the straight road that goes off forever like a ribbon, you you will drive right off a cliff someday. Yeah. Because roads don't go on straight forever. And or so, multiple times. Like or Buffett. multiple times off the cliff. And so you really, the key to investing is to understand the business, which includes looking into the very foggy future right? You you have to look into that foggy future. And that's why we want simple businesses. My God, it's hard enough to look into the future for burritos when people will still most likely like burritos 10 years from now, right? It's very unlikely that suddenly burritos will become, you know, passe or unhealthy or something. There's just very unlikely. And so maybe, I mean, there's nuance to that, right? Sure. There's always nuance, but the point is that it's going to be hard to suddenly have the business fail because it's a simple business and it's got a big moat. I'm thinking of Chipotle Mexican Grill, of course. Of course. But Endlessly. you compare it to Taco Bell, which 
maybe 10 years ago looked amazing and people didn't necessarily see the incredible rise of fast casual competing with it. So there are changes in burritos is what I'm saying. But they're slow. They're slow. Yes. That's, That's the key thing is they don't just come out and blow you up like they might in a technology. Yeah. Um, and what Buffett missed was a big sea change, for example, in, in uh, textiles and in the shoe business. He was so um, immersed in sort of Ben Graham investing mm-hmm. uh, about buying super cheap stocks, you know, mm-hmm. that he that he loaded up on a couple of companies that were in, in process of a major sea change, a major moat break mm-hmm. uh, based on foreign competition. And he just didn't see that it would come as fast as it did. And, uh, and it, you know, these companies were, were ruined by that. And, and that's, you know, that's that process you have to do, you guys. But if you keep the business really simple, it's going to be really hard for foreigners to come in and compete with burritos. It really is. It's like, so, okay, we know that's probably not going to happen. And then what could really wreck this business is, you know, okay, ma- they mismanage or they have E. coli. They can, that, that can wreck it if they can't yeah. figure out how to fix it. So you just, you get simple businesses. And if something's too hard, we just move on to something else, right? I mean, it's nothing simpler than that. And that's another Charlie quote, by the way. That is just a really good quote. So, so maybe the, maybe the, the you know, checklist or takeaway is something like, how is this industry looking in the next 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. Has it, is it on the upswing? Does it have 30 more years of incredible growth? Or is this industry something that's been slowing down or I see a slowdown coming pretty quickly? Maybe that would have, I don't know. I'm trying to think about like the encyclopedias that he bought that uh, kind of happened just before CD-ROMs and personal computers. That That would have been hard to see. Well, and, and the thing is, he touts it in the letters the first few years. He's like, this is one of the best companies we've ever bought. Right, right. The earnings are incredible. And people were buying them like crazy, right. crazy. Everybody needed an encyclopedia and you had right. to get a new one every year to get the newest information. It's a great yeah. business. Yep. And then the personal computer and CD-ROMs put it out of business basically within like a couple of years. Like it was so fast. And he says, we're transitioning to putting our encyclopedias onto CD-ROMs. But obviously, like, that didn't really work out that well because yep. then the internet showed up. And then they so, just were all free. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's, there's kind of a point of like, you kind maybe you just throw your hands up at some point and go like, well, we got blown out of the water on one of them because that was a hard one to see coming. Whereas like the textile factory, he says, I should have seen that one coming yeah. along. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just the nature of the world. And as you said, it's getting faster all the time. So have to stay on top of stuff and, and make it your life easier by having simple businesses that are very unlikely to change. That's that's the key thing. And um, industries. To shift, to to shift gears, th- this is so timely. I love this. There's a tendency to think that our present politicians are much worse than any we had in the past. But we tend to forget how awful... Our politicians were in the past. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, pick either either party, either side of this thing you want to go. And there's been people in the past who are 
have radically changed the country in, in, in maybe not great ways. And I always think about like reading old newspapers in school. And I remember they taught us about like in the U.S. Um, they had some name for them, but they were like party bosses. Like they were like the bosses of the political party. And they would they were like controllers. And then the, they would just pick who stood for any given seat in any given political race. And I just I and like newspapers would lie based on what they told them oh, to lie about. Yeah. And there were just like so many crazy corrupt things that happened yeah. in the US <laughs> around politics that you just don't hear about that much unless you really look into it. Well, I want to wrap yeah. it up with one one more quote here and that is so fundamental to becoming a a wealthy person and that is Ooh. live within your income and oh, save yeah. so that you can invest and learn what you need to learn. Those those things Live within your income, save the difference, and learn what you need to learn to do this well. And and you will become wealthy. I mean, that's just it. You agree? 100%. 100%. I have All right. nothing to add. Cool. Until <laughs> next time, then. Thanks, everybody. Bye, you guys. Bye. Time to go play. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.